and I come to a neutral corner, I looked at Glenn and Glenn were going like to me, like cut through it, and going, do not stop him, do not stop him, I want you to get some rounds in, I'm like, yeah, all right, I'm right, yeah, 19 year old, like a bull in a china shop, Man managed to end up stopping him in second round, and I just come back to the corner, and Glenn just shook his head, anyway. he wouldn't start listening to me or what? Welcome to the Lockdown Inn, the home of the Regulars podcast. Join Elliot Richardson, Jed Pemberfee, Charlie Hopper and myself, George Sanderson, every week as we talk about current affairs, sports news and a fair amount of complete nonsense. Each episode, we invite a special guest into the Lockdown Inn as we try to recreate a night down the pub from the safety of our own homes. Want to keep up to date with our latest content? make sure you drop us a cheeky follow on Instagram and Twitter at RegularsPodUK. Hello and welcome back to the Regulars Podcast. After a week's break, we are back in the lockdown in for episode four. My name is George Sanderson and I've been hired to be the barman for tonight, making sure that the lads don't get out of control and completely wreck the place. Of course, the lads I'm talking about are the eponymous regulars, Charlie Hopper, Elliot Richardson and, well, normally Jeb Pemberfee, but he's not here at the moment and we don't actually know where he is. So Not a bloody clue. We've got no idea where he is. No idea. If he turns up, he turns up. If he doesn't, it's the regulars minus one for this week. Anyway, if anyone sees a small man walking around Exeter, tell him he's late for a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> but we will continue business as normal, and we'll go around the room, because obviously I'm bar man, even though I'm the non-alcoholic of the group. Very very strange, very so strange. It's, it's a weird job that I've picked, but... We'll go with it. So, Charlie, I'll come to you first. What can I serve you tonight? Yeah, um, afraid it's not an alcoholic drink tonight. Uh, I know. I just I've... went nice bit of H2O with some lemon um, lemon bits in it, actually. Um, so, yeah, I thought I'd just go for that on a nice nice Sunday afternoon slash evening. Um, but another one on the Jed one, yeah. If, if anyone finds Jed, then please let us know because he <laughs> sacked us off big time tonight and it's quite poor from him, I'm afraid. Exactly. Uh, Elliot, how are you and what can I serve you tonight? I'm all right, mate. And um, I'd love a JD and Coke. I did say this in the first one as well, so I'm going a bit... I'm re- recycling my drinks here. But it's actually not my JD, which is a bit, a bit dodgy. Basically, I was downstairs before... And I needed to find a drink, but I'm at home. I didn't bring any drinks back with me. So I kind of thought, what can I drink here? And I saw my dad's JD on the side. And I was like, he's very particular about his drinks. So I was like, I can't nick it in front of him. So I'm going to have to nick it secretly. So we're watching United. We're both in the kitchen. And then I shouted goal. And he ran in. And I, as he ran in, I poured the JD on my Coke in it. And he's like, I didn't mean goal for United, Dad. I said goal. And he's like, you bloody bugger. He's like, massive having a go at me. <laughs> Well, before I introduce our guest Dale for this episode, uh, I'll let the the dear listeners know that tonight I'm not drinking Buxton Water. I've been on Buxton Water every episode, and because I'm hosting this one, we've got to push the boat out, so I have got myself a nice bottle of innocent apple juice. (laughs) Jeez, you're having the whole bloody thing? I'm not going to have the whole thing. I'll be needing to go to the toilet if I had the whole thing, but... George, 
come on, come on, man. We were literally so close to getting a Buxton sponsorship. <laughs> we were so close, take but on, now we're up take on the podcast, and now, now you've sacked Buxton off. Oh, yeah. don't worry. I'm, I'm sure they'll be back next week. But with it not looking like Jed's here, we'll just pretend he's drinking alone somewhere. Uh, hmm. And we'll move on to our guest for this episode, for episode four. And we've got former boxer, now turned coach, and owner of the Titans Gym in Sheffield. It is John Fuchs. How are you? All right. I'm all right, George. Thanks, pal. Hope everybody else is all right. And as for Jed, all right. Oh, I'm going And what can well, I uh, get you to drink tonight then, John? Because while we've been waiting for Jed, you've gone for about half of your snacks, but <laughs> I haven't actually asked you what I, you're drinking. All my snacks have gone far, but, but tonight uh, I've pushed the boat out a little bit, but not too much. Uh, I've got myself a few Heineken Blues, so non-alcoholic Heineken. <laughs> yeah, I know. Just because, you've got to set a bit of an example, answer. But I don't want to be too bored at Buxton Water. Or... Oh, God. Oh, come on. Big at in there. <laughs> <laughs> He's caught me out already. I didn't expect to be the water. I thought it'd be the, the choice of shirt that I've got on for this. Well, I was trying to... I was... Trying to ignore that, George Powell, but <laughs> yeah, that'll, come later on. that'll come later on after a few Anakin Blues, I think. Mate. Yeah, well, we'll probably mention it later on. To be for, fair. for the listeners, uh, George, tell everyone what shirt you're wearing. Yes, for that, everyone obviously can't see what I'm wearing, but I'm obviously wearing my Sheffield United shirt because my good friend Johnny, he's a Sheffield Wednesday fan. He was brought up a little bit wrong and he, <laughs> he became a Wednesdayite. So obviously, I've had to wear the United shirt for tonight. Well, you know, you know, your generation is not as good as my generation, pal. So that's what must be happening. John, obviously, it's been a few months since I've spoken to you, but how are things here at the moment with uh, with the gym and stuff like that? Yeah, it's, it's good, thanks, pal. We've been uh, we have been shut since uh, the latest lockdown, which was I think start of January, wasn't it? Something like yeah. that. But um, we have just been just this week being told we're allowed to do outdoor classes. So I've started up with the outdoor classes this week, which have been quite popular. Hmm. Um, and we're hoping as long as nothing goes wrong in the next couple of weeks, we can open back up on April 12th. But in the meantime, it's been it's been hard for the lads and the lasses, I think. I try and keep them on, try and keep them on track. We've got a group chat and, uh, and things like that. And I try and send them sessions in and things. But the first lockdown, I was kind of hard on them because I, I don't think nobody in this world thought it was going to go on as long as it's gone on. So... I was kind of hard on them saying, if you don't do this, you, you're not you're not going to get on the list when you, to box when you get back in the gym and things like that. So this time, I've just tried to be a little bit more lenient. Like, if they want to do it, great. If they don't, I'm sure when the gym opens, they'll be back on track and they'll be back hitting it hard. And uh, for people that don't know about you, you, as a boxer, you had 26 pro fights, uh, winning 22 of them, losing two, drawing two. You were named Young Boxer of the Year in 2007. And, uh, well, how did you actually get into boxing in the first place? Because obviously boxing is a bit of a different sport for someone to decide I will be actively hit in the face repeatedly yeah. yeah especially from a young I age all, i think we're all a bit we've got a screw loose to be fair pal i think all those boxes but um you know i actually i actually started i was playing football uh for my uh just for my local side like under, under 11s or under 12s i think something like that and the football managers lads were going to a boxing gym he asked me if i wanted to go along so i just said yeah one day uh, went along. It was a really old club called Hillsborough uh, Boys 393 Club, uh, obviously up Hillsborough. And um, I went there for a, not very long, to be honest, about maybe four, five, six weeks. And uh, I ended up having my first amateur fight, which 
funny story actually. I never, I never actually told my dad I was boxing because my dad used to work a lot. He worked long hours or he'd work away. So I never actually told him. And then uh, he come home one day and I said to him, Oh, dad, I'm, I'm fighting tomorrow. And he was like, What at school? <laughs> and I was like, No, I'm fighting. He went, What What at school or on park or what? Like, oh, what's gone off? And I was like, No, I'm boxing. He went, And you start laughing at me, You don't box. And I was like, I, I do. And I'm boxing tomorrow. And by the way, I need some boots because I ain't got no boots. <laughs> So he he um, he were like it took it took a minute to get his head around it. I said I weren't having no boots, but I woke up next morning with some boots at the bottom of the stairs. So uh, I don't know where he magic magic's them from. He must have rang for the Christmas or something. But um, <laughs> I got some boots, had my first fight, and then after that, um, a really good friend of my dad's and, and of our family, Darren Wright, he was a trainer at Sheffield Boxing Centre with Lynn Rhodes. Uh, and after I boxed, he said to me, "Listen, get him down, get him down here on Saturday morning." He's not been training long enough to box kind of thing. We'll sort him out. I went down there in 1996, I believe. Yeah, 1996. And I was there all the way through my career until I retired in 2014. Then I trained the kids at Glynn's gym until four years ago. And then I opened my own gym, Titans Boxing. What sort of uh, memories do you have of back then? Because obviously it's quite a while back that you started boxing. What sort of, what are your first memories of getting into it? What made you want to carry is that on? A little dig at, is that a little dig at my age, dear George? Right? <laughs> <laughs> oh, not at all. <laughs> uh, no, what I can remember most about boxing is, um, and I think a lot of lads, especially from our gym, but from gyms all around the world, is what I can remember is it's just the great times you have from it. It's not just uh, what I found at Sheffield Boxing Centre and what I'm trying to trying to bring into my gym is it's not all about the boxing. It's not all about the wins and the losses. It's about it's about becoming men and and young women and and the the life experiences you get out of it. Like, I mean, our our family holidays were Skegness, so we go to Skegness or Benidorm or oh yeah. When my dad were <laughs> a little bit more yeah, when my dad were a little bit more flush, we went to Cancun a couple of times, but that only lasted for a couple of years. So, but through boxing, I've been started off just all over England, uh, Devon, um, Bristol, all places like that for training camps, and then I've been to Las Vegas, Miami, New York, Germany, Jersey, Italy. I can't even remember it. Uh, where else did we go? We go to Russia. Uh, oh, yeah, Russia. Just been all over, the, all mm. over the place, and that's just all through boxing. Whether it, not actually boxing myself, but yeah, from the gym and training and other lads boxing us going on, going on training camps and things like that. So what I remember more than anything is what sort of life it gave me, and it it gave me um, so so many great opportunities and so many great places to visit and to see. And he's still doing that now, to be fair. Uh, hopefully it will still do that till I'm 50, 60 years old. That's what I remember most. Obviously, the training and the fighting, uh, I'll always remember. And as I got a little bit older, the, the losing weight and trying to cut corners to lose weight and the things I had to had to put myself through to do it, that's that's um, one of the main things I remember these days. <laughs> but as a, as a kid, um, it, it was the experiences and, and, the, and the family... The family atmosphere we had down at Glynn's, it was just, uh, it was literally my second family, one big home. How actually intense is the training? Because you see it in films and videos, but I get, bet it does no justice to how actual difficult it really is to train. Yeah, no, I, I've always I've always said um, it's the hardest sport in the world, and I will always stick with that. But the the, the thing what, what Glenn always used to say to us and what I always think, it's like 80, it's 80% mental. And I know that sounds daft because you, you, you're pushing your body through absolute 
like you're pushing through a wall, you're running through walls, you're you're going on your red zones and things like that. You're really smashing your body, but it's it's the mental side of it to make your you've got to actually make your body want to do that do that stuff, and that's yeah. all from your heart and from your head. Mm-hmm. And that to me was the whole always the hardest part. I love training, always love training, always trained hard, but it was the mental side what I always struggled with. Like the talent was always there, and the the ambition and the the work ethic was always there, but it, that's a small part of being a boxer. Yeah. And, and the ones what make it to the top are the ones what... I used to be like um, a massive Ricky Atten fan. I still am a massive Ricky Atten fan, but I never really see Ricky Atten as one of the lads and he'd train hard and he'd box and he'd go for a pie and balloon up and things like that. But that doesn't work for every, that doesn't work for most fighters. That worked for Ricky Atten and that's it. Mm. Most fighters what reach it to the top just discipline the life and dedicate to life to boxing until they retire. And that's what I always found difficult. I always thought I could be one or the other, one another. But, oh, I can be a boxer. I can do that, but I can also be one at lads. And, of course, go to the pub on a Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and I'll just run it off. Or mm-hmm. I'll go for a beer with lads because they've all bought a ticket after a fight, which is fair enough. But what I've realised now and what I want from, from my kids in the gym is you can't do that. It's too to hard a sport and it takes up too much of your life and too much of your time to be half art in it. Yeah. It's got to be one or the other. If you want to make it to the top and you want to be a champion, that you've got to dedicate that. And then hopefully if they turn pro like if they turn pro early enough, they might be done and dusted by 30 years old. They might have got the money, made the money just enough to not not everybody's going to be a millionaire and a world champion, but enough to be settled and then they can enjoy the life after yeah. that. And I'm just realizing that at 35, so I'm about 15 years too late. <laughs> uh, I know you've told me a couple of times about the memories you have of your pro date, uh, your pro debut down at Don Valley, I think it was, wasn't it? Where you had that, yeah. Uh, yeah. Just tell us a bit about that. Well, that was nuts, pal. And to be honest, um, it, it's weird that, like you said about Sheffield Wednesday, Sheffield United early on, because I, I, I love Sheffield, and everybody what used to come and watch me was, was a big mix between Sheffield Wednesday and Sheffield United. Um, the police actually tried to get my pro debut stopped. They actually tried to get it shut down because they was worried about it was going to be because. I was known as a Sheffield Wednesday fan that they want that they thought, oh, they might end up being trouble between Sheffield Wednesday and Sheffield United fans, which is ridiculous because I used to like sell tickets. I sell tickets to anybody, pal. Me, uh, <laughs> don't worry about that. I don't care who they support or what they've done or what they do. So, so there was a really big build up to it, which, which didn't help with your pressure of your pro debut, makes it even harder. But I don't know. Did you did you ever go to Don Valley? Because I know you were uh, quite young, right? Yeah. And I think it's been knocked down a few years now. Yeah, uh, I don't think you two will have because no, I've, no, you're both not from yeah. Sheffield. But all yeah. oh, right, well, it, well, it, it was it was it was like a dungeon, right? Mm. It was just you, you walked out the changing rooms and it was black, and it was like <laughs> it, it were it were like a like a underground rave, uh, and I managed to sell like I think I managed to sell about three hundred tickets from a professional debut, which it, which which is a lot of tickets. Like on average, on average, you like fighters sell between fifty and eight tickets. And, and I did like 300, 300 plus, um, and I just come and, and and as I come out, like even thinking about it, that hairs up back of my head, uh, back of my neck standing up. But um, they all used to like chant like Fuki, Fuki, <laughs> and I just walked out. I couldn't even hear my music. All I could hear was that was that, and it was just the the the, the buzz of that. Even thinking about it, I gives me a buzz and, and that's uh, going off subjects a little bit I think that's the reason why a lot of fighters find it really hard to say goodbye because you can't you can't bottle that feeling 
Yeah. And you'll, you'll see even a lot of sports people, not yeah. just boxers, footballers, everything. They, they'll turn to drink and drugs and things like that after they box because they're still trying to catch that eye. They're still trying to find that same high they had when they were coming out, walking out, and everybody's screaming for them. I've, I've, I've tried to find it a few, bottom of a few bottles since I've retired, but never found it yet. Um, but it's um, the feeling was was unbelievable, and then getting in the and everybody going mad. I remember Glenn saying to me, uh, "Right, don't go nuts. I want you to uh, take your time. I want to get a few rounds in." So I says, "Yeah, no worries, no worries, no worries." I went out there, uh, started boxing. First round went all right. Come back second round, Glenn was like, "That's fine. Just start digging him in body a little bit more." So I went, I went out, and after about a minute, first round, I dropped him to the body. In second round, and I come to the neutral corner. I looked at Glenn and Glenn were going like to me, like cutthroat. And do not stop him. Do not stop him. I want you to get some rounds in. I'm like, yeah, all right. I went out there, 19 year old, like a bull in a china shop. Man- managed to end up stopping him in second round. And I just come back to the corner and Glenn just shook his head. He went, Are you going to start listening to me or what? <laughs> uh, which I did because I didn't stop anybody for my next 16 fights. So uh, anyway, I must have listened to him after that. But no, it was just. Uh, it's something you'll never forget. And I try to tell my kids all the time, you'll only get ever get one debut. You'll only yeah. ever get one debut. So enjoy it. Give it everything you can do. And as long as you, you're giving it your best, there's nothing more else you can do really, is there? Just enjoy it. Yeah, I just kind of wanted to ask about, um, because boxing is such a unique sport, isn't it really? Um, you know, whether you're, you're playing football or whatever, you, you could be 3-0 down at half time, and you've still got a chance to to turn it around for you. What, what was the mental battle like? Because I guess in the weeks coming up to a fight when you're training really hard, what is it like to turn up into a ring and know that within a split second in the first round, you could be knocked down and that could be the fight over. How did you sort of overcome, overcome those feelings and, and that mental battle? Yeah, it's a great question. Yeah. That like, like I touched on before the men, the mental side of, of boxing for me was always the hardest, but as a, as a fighter, I don't, I don't like, it might sound like I'm just saying it, but I never, I never worried about it. I never, ever, ever worried about getting knocked down or it could be over in a split second. Because I think as soon as you let them thoughts creep into your head, they're in your head then. Yeah. And then once you, once they're in your head, it's very hard to get them out. I I was never, never, never a cocky fighter. I'm never a cocky person. I like to think I'm down to earth for being brought up like that, but. I was always very confident in my own ability. And I always used to get in my head, as long as I prepared as well as I had to prepare and I got myself in the shape I needed to be in, then nobody's going to beat me. And that's not that's not me saying oh, I'm better than Floyd Mayweather and Oscar Laurie and people like that, because I obviously wasn't. But I always had the mindset that I was. And I always had the mindset that I don't care who's in front of me, as long as I've done my job, I will be fine. And it, it always, and it, it it did work. I know I lost a couple, but I'll be honest. In them, the, the question what uh, just said, like in them camps, I was letting things creep into my head. Uh, I was letting things. Well, oh, this kid's a bit of a puncher, and I don't feel great. I've not made my weight brilliant. And what if this happens? Or what if that happens? And then as soon as them force mm-hmm. crept into my head, I never boxed the same. And and I always, I was always a confident fighter. So I used to, I used to thrive on confidence. And if if my confidence were high, I'd beat anybody. If if it was knocked a little bit, I'd always struggle. Mm-hmm. And that was always my battle. It was never the ability, and it was never the, it was never training on. It was always mental. And and yeah, yeah, there's a great saying what I love to say. 
mean, Glenn, Glenn Treat uh, taught me this. You're old too soon and you're wise too late. And that's what I've found out now. Like, before you know it, I'm sat here at 35 years old thinking, if I'd have just done this and I know this now and I know that now and if I'd have just done that. So that that's that's one of the hardest parts about not actually doing what you set out to do is the regret. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm learning, to, I'm learning to live with it now. And, 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 and I'm learning to, learning to uh, be happy with the career I had because um, it was a good career. I won a Sanctuary title and I boxed a lot of good kids and beat a lot of good kids. But I always found it very, very difficult thinking if I'd have just done it right, if I'd have just done this and I'd have just done that. And that's where the mental side of it comes in. So that's going back to the question is, I never let it get into my head that it may be over in a split second, but I never let my head be 100% on the game, which it should have been. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you. Um, I was just having a read through and I saw you'd, you'd grown up, uh, I mean, you've known the famous fighter Kel Brook since you were 14. Um, I know yeah. that he's him and uh, him and Amir Khan. They've been rumored to to be sort of having a, a fight again. I mean, you must have you know what what were those sort of those early days at fourteen, growing up with Kel Brook, and you know you've both been been together for a long time. He's he's made a, a good career out of his out of what he does, hasn't he? Really? Yeah, he has. He's, he's done brilliant, Kel. Yeah, me, me. So uh, so in Sheffield, there's there's a lot of boxing gyms now, but uh, the Brendan Ingalls uh, stable at uh, Sheffield is like the the, the biggest Jim Sheffield Sheffield's uh, ever had, but like our Jim Sheffield boxing said, I might be, I might not be understand wrong right about this, so somebody might might correct me if, if they hear this. But I think we we've been going like twenty six years now, and I, I don't know if the Ingalls Stable's been going thirty odd years or something like that. But we're like probably the second most established Jim in Sheffield, like length uh, time wise, and um, we've had a lot of great fights in here. Um, Clinton Woods, uh, Paul Sucky Jones, Richie Wenton, Andy Manning, all, all, Paul Owen, all these, all these Jason Barker, all these champions and great fighters. So what it was, as we were coming through, there was a little bit of rival between the Ingle gym uh, uh, and our gym. And Kel was kind of like the up-and-coming star in their gym and, and I was kind of the up-and-coming star in our gym. Uh, and when we boxed, uh, we actually boxed in a little working men's club in Kimbleworth. When I tell you, the fans were hanging from the chandeliers. I mean, it was hanging <laughs> from the chandeliers. I'm telling you now, fire regs was not upheld that day. Not a prayer. And, and it went nuts. And I remember being that wound up about it. I watched, my, I watched the video back every now and again. We were like 14. But that wound up about it. I literally, literally just ran across the ring at him, uh, throwing shots. I was hitting him low, hitting him behind the head. I was just throwing shots all over. But what it did, it kind of like, lit a bit of a fire underneath both of us, I think. Like, because both of us were such talented kids. And I know I know Kel very well. So, like, I know what he's like. He, he needs something to light a fire under his backside to get him going. And I think, and he's so competitive. It's, like, ridiculous how competitive he is. Um, so, it, it, it lit a bit of a fire under him. So, as, as we boxed, we ended up boxing three times. So, Kel won the first, I won the second, Kel won the third. He likes to tell everybody that. Um <laughs> So he won the third, but but we was always on the same path and always boxing the same kids and in the same championships and things like that. I was always a school year older than him, so I never met him in the championships. But it was always like, well, he's got to semi-final, so I've got to get to semi-final now. He's got to final, I've got to get to final now. He's won it, I've got to win it now. So it was kind of, even though we were, we were pals and, and there were no like bitterness there, yeah. it was just great to have someone at side of you 
what everybody was speaking so highly of to keep you pushing and it was keeping keeping him pushing it just makes you go and and you and you, and you, you fight good fighters and you train with good fighters and you mix with that company it will only make you a better fighter we we we, we both fought we had me on a few times and we're like England camps we had me here a few times but hopefully the fight will happen now but it should have happened a long time ago and myself I don't know if it will or not hopefully for the fans and for Kel it will but whether it will or not I'm not too sure if you had to say right now who's going to go and win it if it does happen who do you think is probably the best bet for that uh, 100% Kel yeah, I'm not. I'm not just saying that because it'd be easy for me to say that, and a lot, and I'm, and that's not belittling Amir Khan whatsoever. It gets mm. a lot of stick, which I think's I think's very poor at uh, the public sometimes because he's probably one of Britain's most decorated boxers, gold medalist uh, or a silver medal or silver, uh, Olympian. I'm not sure if a silver or gold medalist, world ta- world champion at three different weights, boxed so many great fighters, beat so many great fighters, only lost to the best, but. I was always 50-50 with the fight. And then when I started to work with Kel, the guy's a beast, like literally a beast. And is the way he works in the gym and how powerful he is and what such a good boxer he is, I just I just believe, in my opinion, when styles make fights. Now, Amir Khan might beat somebody what would beat Kel and Kel might beat somebody what would beat Amir Khan. So you can't say, oh, well, he's beat him, so he'll beat him. I just think on the night, and what shape I know Kel would be in, I think, on the night. And I do think Amir would take it a little bit lightly. Amir's been headlining in Las Vegas and New York, and he's boxed Alvarez, and he's boxed, but I, I think he, he himself would think Kel's a step down, where Kel's not a step down, because Kel's Kel broke, you know what I mean? So I just, I would go with my heart and my head all day long, and I'd, I'd say Kel. Uh, so obviously you've, you've coached Kel as well. Uh, not just uh, fought against him. You coached him for a little while. Uh, football rivalries aside, because obviously Kel is a he's a blade, so I'm very proud to have him on the yeah. right side. Of the city. Uh, what was it like coaching him anyway, aside from the football banter between you? It was to be fair. When we, we was away in Fort Ventura, we actually watched uh, Chef Wednesday versus United uh, Sheffield Derby. The last one we had, I think. Didn't, didn't, and last four finished like one all or nil nil or something. Yeah, like the that. last three been nil nil, but then there's the four two. Well, oh yeah, I didn't want to mention that one. Um, <laughs> yeah, it was the last one when Hutchinson was slid in just to put it in to make it two one. He just missed. Uh, we watched that together. But yeah. no, it were it were really good. He actually, um, it, it, it rang me a few times. He's obviously been with the Ingalls gym forever. I, I, we were Dave, Dave Corwell for a little bit, and he's been at the Ingalls gym since we were a kid. And um, we've always kept in touch, like over the years. Like we, we he actually had his pro debut on the same day I had my pro debut uh, at Don Valley. What we we're talking about, and um, I always found it nice. Like even before I had a gym or anything, it, when he were fighting kids, he'd message me say, "Oh, I'm boxing such and such. What do you think? Or or how do you think I box at weekend? Or do you fancy a curry? Or do you fancy?" Uh, we'll said. We'll say he said do you fancy a lemonade, but he didn't. He said uh, do you fancy a pint. Uh, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> we've been out after fights and that a few times. But um, so that was always that. So he just he randomly popped up to gym one day, and I was oh hey, probably all right. I had a picture with kids and everybody. Brought his gloves. He said oh fancy doing a few pads. I went, yeah, of course, jump on. So I did a few pads with him, and they were like, how, how busy are you at gym? So I says I'm I'm really busy at minute. I, I didn't have much help then. I've got. I've got two or three good kids in gym now helping me out, but I didn't have much help back then. 
So like I'm 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 busy. I'm I'm here every day. Well, all right then. And then he, he rang me and he was like, "Oh, uh, what are you doing? What are you doing? Such and such or whatever." And I was like, uh, "I'm sorry. I think these uh, pigeons are something running on my roof. I wonder what that was." <laughs> um, <laughs> so then um, you fancy coming to Fort Ventura? So I was like, "What for? Like for for a jolly up to train? Like what for?" He says, "No, to train." I said, "We are here." He says, "I'm out on my own. I'm just starting to get fit. Might have someone coming up. Do you want to come?" So at first I said, I, I can't, Paul, I'm sorry, I'm too busy with, I'm too busy with Jim. So we're like, all right, no worries. Left it at that, and then he rang me in a week after. He's like, are you going to come or what? He said, I want you to come out for a couple of weeks. I want you to maybe look at training me. So I was like, what, really? Like, what, what's going on with Dom? And at that time, he got other obligations. I think he were in America training some other fighters, Domingo or something like that. So I says, right, and he says, I'll book you a ticket for Sunday to come out for two weeks. So what 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 skills bout is is when little kids that come to gym when they're not old enough to box they get to have a skills bout so they get to go up in front of everybody in front of a crowd on a show they do three one minute rounds and there's no decision they call it a draw at end it's just a bit of experience for kids so we got young Alfie who's been at gym since he was about nine we were having his first skills bout so he was like oh I booked you a ticket for Saturday I said oh, I can't uh, for Sunday I says I can't Sunday pal he says why I said oh Alfie's having his first skills bout and he like started laughing he went what. I went, oh, Alfie's having his, his first skills bout, so I can't come in. No, but I'm I'm saying I'm gonna I'm gonna fly out to Fort Ventura to train, man. Hey, all for no, like I says, I know you are, and I'm telling you, I'm gonna lead with Alfie because he's got his first skills bout. And he was like, he just started laughing. Oh, all right then, yeah. He went, well, I'll fly you out Monday. So I says, well, let, let me have a word with Gaffer, see what she says, uh, and then we'll go from there. So Becky said, yeah, cool. So I went out on the Monday, and I was a little. I weren't sure what was happening. So I went out there and it was the open mind of, listen, if it lasts a week, great. If it lasts two weeks, great. If whatever. Uh, so I went out there and spoke to him. And I was like, what, what, what's crack? He said, well, I'm going to have a fight in 10 weeks or whatever it were, eight weeks. Uh, Dom can't train me at the minute. You, you know me and you've always got on so well. You know how much I respect you as a fighter and as a trainer and things like that. And I says, I want, I want you to train me. So I was like saying to him, well, that's great, but we've got to be on the same page. Like, you've got to be listening to what I'm telling you and things like that. And he says, yeah, of course. And it never worried. People always said to me, like, oh, well, you worried that I weren't going to listen to you because you're same age and he's done a bit more than you and things like that. And it never, ever, ever worried me that because I knew, I know the respect Kel's got for me and, and I knew the way he was asking me to come and train him and, and the, the conversation we are having. I know it weren't going to be like that. And honestly, I can just say we clicked from the first day. Took him on pad straight away and I thought, this is going to be good, this. And then whatever I asked him to do, he did. Uh, he, I, I learned a lot from him as well. I learned a lot from training Kel as a trainer. Like certain things I didn't know about conditioning things. Because when I say he's an athlete, he is a pure athlete. Like some of the stuff he was doing on treadmills and tracks and things like that. It's things like I'm taking into my gym now and I'm teaching my lads. Um, and it was just... It was a dream. It was a dream camp because it was like two mates what respected each other and listened to each other, but put the work in as well. Like I, I were getting up. He were getting up earlier than me, so I'd start to get up earlier the next day. So he'd start to get up earlier the next day. So that's what I'm saying. How competitive he is. If I were getting yeah. up at six o'clock, you were making sure you were getting up at three minutes to six. So then I get up at four minutes to six. He get up at five minutes to six. <laughs> just so, just so Warriors were winning, getting up first. And things like that. So it worked. It worked kind of brilliant. Now, the fight didn't quite go to, to plan or to what everybody thought. But when I spoke to Kel after, 
and he, he he said to me, he says, listen, John, he says, I don't care what anybody says about what I should have done in the fight and things like that. He says, that's one of the best camps I've ever had and I can't thank you enough. And then obviously, uh, Dom went back from his obligations. He's been here since he was like 11 years old and uh, he just said to me, listen, if if you weren't training with Glenn and Glenn said to you, would you go back? Would you go back? And I said, well, probably, yeah, because Glenn's like my dad and I've been here for that long and he had the same relationship with the Ingles and Dom and stuff back then. So he went back there for a fight, but I've got nothing but good memories from it, to be honest. In terms of the lads that you've got at your gym now, do you have sort of a, a bit about you that thinks some of these may be able to go all the way? Yeah, definitely, Pat. We have got such... I know it's easy for me to say this, but we've got such a good a good mix in our gym. We've got... It's been hard with lockdown. With a few of the young lads have struggled. There's a few lads what are like 16, 17, what I thought, in two or three years, these are going to be really, really, really good. A couple of them have kind of gone missing, which you can understand. It's, it's been hard for them. A couple of them have struggled um, with the fact that the, the world's kind of just been stopped. The boxing's been stopped. The school's been stopped. The uni's been stopped. Uh, the college has been stopped. So they've struggled. Hopefully they will come back. But we've got... I've got two or three kids at the minute, what are like adults, uh, mid, mid-20s, mid and I've got really high hope for them. We've got a lad called Sufjan Ahmed. He's only had six fights, but in his, in his sixth fight, he boxed a 10-rounder for an area title. He lost it, but it, it was a bit weird, actually, because he boxed uh, a lad from Glenn's gym, and the lad from Glenn's gym is a lad called Kane Salvin, a very good fighter, and I actually coached Kane as an amateur, and then I've come to my gym, I train Suf, Glenn trains Kane, and they had to box each other. So it was a bit weird going head to head with Glenn. Uh, but Kane won, Kane won the fight. I I truly believe that Suf should have won it. But that's not that's not a dig or anything at Kane or anything like that. Kane boxed Arnie Skin. Kane boxed brilliant. I just genuinely believe Suf nicked mm. it. But the fact that he's, he's boxing for 10 round area title fights after five fights shows how much I believe in him and how much. Um, confidence I've got in him so I think he's going to and what a great thing about boxing that people think you lose a fight and it's over it isn't it's, it, you never lose if you learn like all the great fighters in the world Sugar Ray Lennon Oscar De La Hoya, Muhammad Ali Joe Fraser Ken Norton uh, Mike Tyson all these fighters lost fights and it's how you come back from it and I think Sophie's going to come back and be a lot better and we've also got Conor Dobrynet turning over Nathan Owen who's one and who's a pro and uh, another young kid who's just just turned 19, Mason Dickinson. These are all going to be names you want to look at in the next two or three years. But then the young lads I've got in the next... Sounds a long way away, five to ten years, but what I know as, as I'm getting older, time goes faster and it, it goes in the blink of an eye. And some of the kids we've got in our gym, you are definitely going to be household names in five to ten years. When it um, comes to coaching, did you become a coach to stay within the boxing world or did you come... Do it more for like the passion to teach young youngsters how to box. Yeah, yeah. I always remember box. Oh, even as a kid, even as a 15, 16 year old kid, I used to get the pads up and take some of the young kids on the younger kids on the pads. And I always had seemed to have a a good eye for the game. I could see outside of the ring what kids should be doing and what they shouldn't be doing. And it always seemed to work. And Glenn always just said to me at like 16, 17, like, you'll be a better trainer than a fighter. And back then I used to think, oh, thanks a lot. Cheers. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not a fighter. Then. Well, <laughs> it said, no, you are going to be a better coach than a fighter. And it just comes so natural. And then in, in my career, I had a few breaks where, like we, we, we touched on it before, I had a, I had a bit of a, 
a bit of a rubbish head for for a little bit uh, where I really struggled with things. I tried coming and I'd, I'd flit in and out of boxing, but I'd always try and stay in the gym if I could uh, and help. My, I had a, a lot of good pros in our gym, like three of my best mates, Lee Edwards, Carl Wild, Jez Wilson, and they'd have fights coming up, so I would pad them and take them on the on the pads and stuff. And Glenn, Glenn were brilliant because Glenn's gym and he just he said to me, "Oh, go and take pads with Jez. Go and take with Sheedy, with Sam Sheedy, uh, another great fighter." Tommy Frank and that. You go and take them. And he always kind of gave me free reign in the gym, which I loved because as someone who I know who has my own gym, it's hard to let somebody else take the reins. And he always used to let me. So I, it was always kind of come natural to me, but it kind of saved me a little bit in the fight. When I retired, I hit a bit of a low point. I never actually retired, if I'm honest. I, I just boxed. I never boxed again. I never said, oh, I'm retiring. I never thought this is the end. Oh, it's not there anymore. I just, I, I, I got a draw. I thought I should have won it, but I got a draw. Kind of spat on me out a little bit. A bit childish. Says, oh, I'm not doing this again. And blah, blah, whatever. And I just never boxed again. And I hit a bit of a low point where I was drinking too much. I was I was eating too much. I went from boxing at like 10 stone to up to 17, nearly 18 stone. And it, it just I was just in a bit of a bad place. And then when when I started getting back in the gym and Glenn was like, right, you need to take your amateur badge now. You need to do this. It gave me something to to aim for. It gave me that that passion back and that uh, got that goal back. What I lost when I, when I stopped boxing and that focus in which I needed. When I didn't have that focus and I didn't have something to to, to get my head on, I was a bit of a bit of a loose cannon. I was, I was just all over the place. Um, I did it because it come natural and I and I loved it. And I like you said. The, the feel you never match the feeling of boxing. You can never ever ever match it. But what comes really really close is when you tell a kid what to do and he does it and he wins. Yeah, that comes very 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 close to it. The only problem I found is when you do something and you win, everybody loves you. When you're a coach and they win, everybody loves them. Yeah, nobody's bothered about the coach <laughs> then. Um, but it, it, it did save it did save me to be honest. It sounds a bit cliche when you say because everybody says oh boxing saved my life or or anything like that. But I was really going down the wrong path and somewhere where I probably wouldn't have been proud of who I was if I'd have carried on that way. And that's what, that's what coaching did. And then one day my partner, another kid who who I've got literally so much respect and so much love for is Dennis Hobson. who was a big name in Sheffield boxing in British boxing, promoted all the best Ricky and Amir Khan, Clinton Woods, all these fighters. Um, He rang Glenn and said that my gym's, coming available who, who, who needs to be in it who do I need in it and Glenn just said Fuki straight away he said Fuki needs to be in it and Dennis was like yeah get him in and he rang me actually at work and he went uh, what are you doing I said I'm at work and they were like uh, well you ready to run your own gym I was like what he went do you want your own gym and I went when he went whenever you want I said well I'm at work and he went well the best time you notice in the night because you've got your own gym <laughs> so I went and told explained to the kid and he, he, he were all for it uh, and I started like two weeks later, and it's just, it's like I said, it's given me that focus. It's, 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 it's my life now, and and I can't, I can't go back and let my head mess me up because it will mess everybody else up. Mm-hmm. And another, another major reason, major, major reason is in our gym. I told George this before. It's not in the nicest area. It's on, it's on Erdie's shops on Gleadless. It's not, it's not the Bronx, like, but it's not, it's not um, the nicest area in the world. And we have such a mix of kids and the mix of kids what come are kids what have had great upbringings 
great parents, great moms and dads, to kids what have either had no parents or single parent bringing them up on their own, struggling and things like that. And the gym gives these kids hope and it gives them, it gives them the thought of, well, I might be able to get out of this situation. That might not have to be me. That I might not have to be like my dad. I might not have to be like this. I might, I might not have to be on the gym uh, street and sell drugs. I might not have to be an alcoholic. I might not have to drink cider on the shops. And I, I might not have to do this. And, and that is the biggest thing I love about boxing. And, and I would love to have a world champion in the gym. That's the goal, the British and a world champion. But if, if, if in 20 years I can be sat here and there can be a line of kids saying, well, if it weren't for Titans boxing, if it weren't for John, if it weren't for Dennis, I, would, I, wouldn't have had, I wouldn't have had a job and I wouldn't have had a family or I wouldn't have had this and, and I wouldn't have had these life skills, then that's when I know I'll have done my job right. And to me, that is the main part of it because there's such a minute percentage of boxers what become world champions. Like there's millions and millions and billions of fighters out there and there's only a minute little potential, little bit what become champions. But there's millions of people out there what become better people from stepping in a boxing gym and becoming fighters or boxers or just, just being in the gym. You're listening to The Regulars Podcast. Want to keep up to date with our latest content? Drop us a cheeky follow on Instagram and Twitter at RegularsPodUK. I don't know about you lads, but I think it's time for some music. So here at the Lockdown Inn, if you've been here for the last three episodes you'll know that we have a very special dream jukebox this jukebox is designed for bangers and bangers only songs that will get people out of their seats and onto the dance floor or at the very least songs with a good story behind them as always the songs that get put into our dream jukebox are decided by our special guest so that means john you have control over the songs tonight so what is your first song and why (laughs) Oh, no pressure at all here, then, is there? Exactly. We, it is a vague pressure moment, this. It's probably more <laughs> pressure than a boxing match. Well, oh. have, have you ever heard of the Venger Boys? Yes. I have. Well, I'm not picking them, don't worry. Oh. <laughs> 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 right, so the first one is, bit of a, not a weird story, but a bit of a... Like you, you, when you did set to me, something with a bit of meaning behind it. So mm. I think it's a great tune anyway, but... When I said before, when I retired, I went through a bit of a stage and I just basically lived in the pub. Uh, I used to put this on the jukebox all the time. It kind of reminds me to stay on track a little bit and not fall back to that. But also, we did have a, we did have a laugh. Nobody, nobody doesn't have a laugh in the pub, do they? Um, so it is Wretch32, don't go. Yeah, and sometimes I'm a dummy and I know I would have crashed if you never so was don't around. Go. That is a good tune. That's a good choice. So, what do you think, lads? Does that go go in the jukebox? We go accept that one. Yeah, <laughs> I think we can. Ex- I think we can accept. Yes, absolute tune. Very yeah. nice. So, we'll move on to your second song. Can we go from one banger to another? Yeah, we can. So, I'm glad you like Rex because my second one's gonna be Rex as well. I'm not like a stalker or all like that. Right? But, 
It's another one that was part of Jukebox as well, and it's rest 32, six words. I found my treasure in you. Bronze, silver, gold, no, it's you. I'm surprised to be fair. I'm surprised you haven't gone for oh, which song was it by Rich? Is it blue or oh, un- unorthodox? No, I always think of unorthodox and I think of Rich. That is good too. Yes, yeah, I think that might be the one of. I was thinking of. With example, have you heard, have you heard yeah. the fire in the booth? What he does, what Rich 32? No, yeah. is it good? Is it good? Oh, uh, unreal, unreal. So, I think so far we're two for two, aren't we? Well, yeah, I think definitely. 100%. I'm a big Rich32 fan, not gonna lie. Yeah, yeah, we haven't got that impression at all. <laughs> <laughs> so, can you go for the hat trick? Three good songs. What's song number three gonna be? Well, I couldn't make my mind up, you know, so I thought, what I'm gonna do, I'm just gonna wing it when they ask me. Okay. Uh, so, <laughs> this is, uh, this is, it's not really a banger, but it's a tune, mm. right? And just the first ever song I can remember hearing and loving and it's Oasis Champagne Supernova Well, yeah. that's obvious. That, yeah, that's obviously I mean, going in. Anyone obviously. that isn't accepting that song for the, yeah. the jukebox might as well stop listening to the podcast now and go <laughs> yeah. elsewhere. Just, just a classic. Just a classic. Just, exactly. It's just the first song I ever remember listening to. Yeah, that is 100% going in the jukebox, that one. Now, there's, I mean, we might as well add all of Oasis in there, but of course, we don't get the say. Yeah. It's you that gets the say, John. So we will be putting in. Three songs from you. What are those three songs? One more time. Right. Rex 32, Don't Go. Rex 32, Six Words. And Oasis, Champagne, Supernova. Lovely. Beautiful. Beautiful choices. I think we've we've hit the nail on the head with that one. What did you uh, What did you walk out to, John? Well, that, that's weird. I was going uh, to pick that and I should have known, actually. I was I thinking about it. So what it were, I come out to... At the start, Miss Pro David, I come out to Usher, yeah, and Glenn were like, "What? What is this rubbish?" So I'm like, "All right, then." So, <laughs> and then I picked uh, for the second fight. I picked, uh, do you know, MOP called as ice. I got done for picking that, and then Glenn said to me, "Listen, you need to be picking a song what everybody will know as you." So like, Chris Eubank has is simply the best, and like, well, obviously Kel has all the lights, but he didn't have it then because this was years ago. He says, you need to pick a song. He says, it ain't got to be something what you like or not like. You need to pick a song what everybody's going to like and you're going to stick to it. So from my third fight all the way till I retired, I had Madness, One Step Beyond. One Step Beyond. So I used to, used to come on like, this is the heavy, heavy monster sound. And then all of us I used to sell a lot of tickets, and what it were, they would never come out of the bar until I was boxing, right? So they'd be in the bar, and the bar would always be somewhere like above the ring or to the side of a venue or something like that. And as soon as they heard that, you would just, it would be like a stampede, they'd just come <laughs> running into the arena. So yeah, it was, so it was madness one step, one step beyond. 
think that's four then. Should we put four in instead? We can put all four <laughs> in. You know what? Because yeah. Jed isn't here, he can't say no. So yeah, we're going to put true. four in this week. Let's do that. So we'll have Forget four. Jed. We're going to break the rules this episode. We're, yeah. we're going all out. Exactly. Now, it'd be wrong for us not to obviously mention Tyson v. AJ. It looks like that's going to go ahead at some point this year. Uh, yeah. And I want to sort of bring us on to a thing about rivalries because obviously Tyson's, well, anyone that fights Tyson becomes a massive rival of Tyson. But uh, what yeah. do you think in sport are probably the biggest rivalries? United Liverpool or United Arsenal. In fact, United have a lot of rivalries, don't they? <laughs> not many people like Man United. And it's a uh, weird it's one. True, it's, that. it's not one of the clubs that you'd straight away think, oh, yeah, <laughs> no one likes Man United straight away. But the thing is, it's, it's really weird for me as United. Nobody fan. likes anybody what wins a lot. It's true. <laughs> That's for, the problem. For me, as United. It's fan, all right <laughs> he's going for all of our clubs tonight. Yeah, <laughs> he's, he's out of control. The best thing about it is I support the worst team what everybody supports. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, there, there are a lot of Man United rivals. I think Man United, Liverpool, Leeds. Leeds don't like, well, yeah. no one really likes Leeds, but. Like the main ones always United, Liverpool, isn't it? But for me, yeah. I always hate City more just because I have more friends that are City fans. And obviously, I wasn't born into the generation when United hated Liverpool. So I'm more of a, I hate City than I, I hate Liverpool. I always, I always found that strange with Manchester and Man U. Like, the, like Liverpool and Man U is a bigger rivalry than Man, Man U and Man City. Yeah. But like, it's, it's the older generation, I think, isn't it? And Man yeah. City weren't doing anything for years and years mm. and years, were they? Exactly. They were always... Then they found the money and then that's it. It's become a rivalry then. I think with them, uh, with them, they, they're, they're rivals that have been sort of uh, in history, haven't they? But I guess in boxing, the, the rivals can sort of be drawn together by what the fight, by what the fighters might want to be. For example, Fury and AJ is now a huge rivalry because Fury calls him out. AJ then backs it up with a, with a fight. But John, I just kind of wanted to ask you on that one. Do you mm. think that AJ and Ruiz was a really defensive fight from AJ? He just got the job done. Do you think that's how it's going to be against Fury? Or do you think Fury will literally tear AJ apart? I think I think AJ will box completely different against Tyson Fury than against Ruiz. Because with Ruiz, the first fight, he thought he, could, he, he just did what he normally does or whatever, and it, and it didn't work. So the second fight, I thought he boxed really well. He used his head and he boxed smart. And he did what he had to do to get the job done, which which it's boxing ended. It's called boxing, not fighting. It's called boxing, not fighting for a reason. I think, I think with Fury, Joshua will try it, will put it on him and try and take him out because I think that's all they can do. If I'm honest, like I'm an AJ fan and I'm a and I'm a Fury fan, but I just can't see anybody in that heavyweight division beating Tyson Fury. He's just got the fact of the matter is that the, the skills he's got for a big man. Is, is ridiculous, but it's his boxing brain. He's, he's a bit of an old-school fighter for me, whereas Anthony Joshua's a new-school fighter. He looks the part. He looks chiselled out of marble, and he do, he'll do his sprints, <laughs> and he'll do his treadmills, and he'll do his he'll do his ice baths, and he'll do stuff like that. Tyson Fury, to me, is just an old-school fighter. He'll get his gloves on. He'll, he'll pound the road. He'll get his gloves on. He'll spar and he'll hit the pads. And for me, I love old-school. You need to have a middle. There needs to be a middle ground, obviously. You can't just be... I think you need to have a part of that old school. And I just think Fury's got the brain and the talent to beat anybody. And I think if Joshua tries to put it on him, then it will play into his hands. But also, what you've got to remember is, Fury's what? Nearly seven foot, 19, 20 stone. 
He's a big boy. He's eating anybody yeah. from the chin. He's going over. But so is Joshua. Joshua's six, six and a half, four, six, ten, whatever he is. 18, 19 stone. Built like a big shit house. Then he's uh, if he sticks it on anybody, he's going to go. So that's boxing. You could net that, especially heavyweight boxing. You could never put your house on anything because at that way, and and the the level them two box at, if somebody gets it on the chin, it could be all over. So you never know. But I would put my money on Fury all day long. Well, I think Fury, I think that photo that's just emerged on social media, I don't think Joshua will want to check that out because Fury looks fitter than, looks than ever. And and I guess for, for Joshua, it's going to be a case of um, Fury seems to come back from, from pretty much everything. I mean, I've not been a Fury fan before, but after I watched that documentary on ITV, um, yeah. you suddenly just start to connect with him and, and the comeback against Wilder. <laughs> Um, I, I, I just hope, fingers crossed, that the the, the TV companies and and, the, and everyone sort of subsidise it a bit because essentially this is going to be the biggest fight in the last what decade. I can't I can't see how. I know everybody wants to see it now, but I just can't see how they can make that fight with no crowds or with only or with restrictions because what it's not just that. I know they I know they want to get it on now and they want to do it, but the problem is. For revenue, anyway, for the promoter, what's putting it on, he's going to lose millions and millions and millions and millions. But for them, for that fight and them two fighters, it deserves to be in Wembley, sold out Wembley or something like that. It, it can't be in Saudi Arabia or behind closed doors somewhere. It's just not. I know boxing's a business, right? But at all, I'm I'm a, I'm a boxing man, not a businessman. And I just think a fight of that magnitude, two British heavyweights fighting for every world title in heavyweight boxing. How can it not be in Britain, and how can it not be in front of a packed arena? Yeah, I mean, I watched, um, I watched Dillian White last weekend. Was it against Povetkin? Yeah, I watched, against Povetkin. Uh, yeah. Warrington's fight two weeks ago, and then I watched yeah. Frampton's fight last night on Channel Five, and yeah. it's just, it's not the same, is it? It's, it's, it's not the same, is it? It's, it's not the same. Like what, what we did, we had, we had a show in. in um, Sheffield in December, so in December, Dennis Hobson put a show on, and what he did were I don't know if if you if you'd seen it or anything, you know, like a driving movie. He did like a driving boxing show. So you mm. set the ring up, and, and and you had your households in your car, and you drove up and you watched it from your car in the ring. That was a lot. That was a week. That was weird in itself, but it was a lot better than boxing. Like what the call Frampton looked like, he was just boxing in a warehouse last night, didn't he? And just. In front of nobody, it, it was weird, uh, and you, you just can't watch Fury like that. You can't watch Fury and AJ like that. It just it's just going to ruin it. But if they take warm up fights and it goes wrong, then the fight might be all over. So I don't know. Business wise, they're going to get it on wherever because they'll probably put it for fifty pound pay per view or something like that to try and get the money. But everybody's got dodgy boxes and fire sticks these days anyway, aren't they? So they're not going to get no box office. So they might as well wait. You're going to have to wait till these fans, even if it has to be August, September or whatever. You're going to have to wait, surely. Yeah, and it's been quite weird as well, looking at, going back to sort of the football in rivalries, it's been quite weird watching the football, like the big derbies, like the Man United, Liverpool, stuff like that, without fans yeah. there. It's obviously big rivalries, you want the fans there, you want uh, packed out stadiums because it just adds to the atmosphere yeah. a bit of it and it's one of those if well particularly with Fury and AJ or whatever AJ will hear his fans join the fight yeah. or he'll hear Tyson's fans getting on his back and he'll want to it gives you a, it gives you a boost himself. doesn't it yeah I think as George just said about United I know 
as, as much pleasure as it gives me Sheffield United going down, right? <laughs> I will have to say, I think a massive, massive part of that is the no fans. Like, I, I mean, you can't, listen, I don't care who you support Wednesday or whatever, like, you can't knock out good United did last season. They were quality, the football they played. Like, my, my, my missus and her family are all Sheffield United season ticket holders, which makes it very awkward in my house. Where did it go wrong? Where did it go wrong? Yeah, especially where my boy's not stepping foot in Bramall Lane. But that's another story. <laughs> but, uh, so, they, they were brilliant last season. And I think the fans made that for them. Because mm. your Man United, your Liverpools, your Man Cities, they don't want to go to a wet Bramall Lane on a Wednesday night when it's bouncing it down. <laughs> and everyone's screaming at them. And, and they're pitching as great as they've normally played on. And, and they're sliding and they're, they're being rough with them. They're taking them out. But if you put Sheffield United against Manchester United or Liverpool in a training match, Manchester United and Liverpool's going to win all day long. But you put them in then deep waters at Bramall Lane, like I said, on a Wednesday night, it's like an FA Cup final every time United yeah. play. So, But what's happened now is, with the no fans, they've been like training matches. Mm. And United's like lack of lack of the quality of what the bigger sides have got has really shown because they, they haven't got that 12th man behind them. Which is the crowd and and, and things like that. And, I, and I think that's what struggled. And I think, like going off subject a little bit, I think that's what's lockdown has messed everything up. Yeah, it's mess. It's like it's like if United go down, well, United go down now. I'm not saying they would have stayed up with fans, but how many billions of pounds are they going to lose? Yeah, mm. you lose billions of pounds, and and it's same with boxing. Like how much? I know Eddie Hearn's been brilliant putting shows on, but he must have lost a fair few quid with no fans. And then you. Your, 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 your grassroots football, it's that's probably slipped off a little bit. Your grassroots boxing, that slipped off. So it, it's some of what we're never going to forget, I don't think. You know what exactly. I mean? But it's uh, hopefully it's not messed everything up. Yeah, but if you think about it, when us lads grow up and your kids have grand, your kids have kids, and every, and you'll be able to say, oh, do you remember in 2020 when a global pandemic shut yeah. the whole country down and we were in it for a year? It's gonna- it's going to be like, this is what it was like when we were in 2020. Yeah, it's mad. It's, it's nuts. Like, when I talked to one at last from Jim today and he was saying, oh, I've just, uh, I've never known how like it. And he's 16. I went, I'm 35 and I've never known how like it. So you're not going to. But like you oh. say, yeah, when, when we're all old and grey and we can look back and say, can you remember that? And they'll probably not believe you. Unless we're still in it. But look, how it's going, we might still be in it. Uh, yeah. So my mind went blank for a second then. Um, <laughs> obviously, <laughs> just one of those senior moments. I'm not like I'm not even twenty yet, and I've just had my mind's just gone for a second. Well, you're not even twenty yet, buddy. Hell, are we in the same year at uni? <laughs> no, oh, it's, it's not normal. How old are all the three then? So if he's not I'm, twenty, how old are you? I'm twenty. I'm twenty-one. What um, about you, Charlie? Yeah, I'm twenty. I'm twenty-one in September. Yeah, so we're we're same sort of school year. Me and Charlie is just he's start of the year. I'm end of the year birthdays. Elliot's yeah. just oh, old. I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm Jed's, old man. I mean, Jed's basically forty. By Jed's now, older so. than me, I think. I think Jed's like twenty two, <laughs> isn't he? Yeah, he's like twenty two, twenty three. What I was gonna say is obviously for Sheffield United fan, our biggest rivalry is Wednesday. But what would yeah. you say is probably the biggest rivalry in any sport? Celtic and Rangers. I was gonna say that. I was gonna say old firm. I think that's biggest. Thing that you, you realise when you come into this game, the first couple of times is you just don't get the, the same time in the ball that you get from week to week. This is a total, totally different pace of football. 
Juve is having a go here at the Celtic bench and Neil Lennon, it's all kicking off. And he's going to be off. Callum Murray and Rangers are going mad here. They're going mad because Maggi Bulgaria gets a second yellow. And he's chucked the yellow away and he's going to be off as well. They're down to nine men. And Neil Lennon and Ali McCoy are squaring off now. McCoy still will take over as manager at the end of the season. Everyone has to step in to stop that. And this is unsavoury in the extreme with the manager of Celtic and the next manager of Rangers having a pop. I don't know, Ian, how, how you can demand that players behave when the coaching staff can't behave. El Hatschuf got a red card at the end, so three red cards in all for Rangers. An extraordinary end here. Stephen Whitaker recorded in the first half. Matty Bouguera the same near the end. And El Hastuf has got one after the full-time whistle. I'll take your range. I've got I've got a lot of family and friends, a lot of Rangers fans. Mm. Um and I've, I've been to I've been been a few times and stuff. Uh, went to Manchester when they played in your for Cup final and things like that. I think that that is up there with with they hate each other with a passion. Mm. And I, I know mm. there's, there's other things behind it, religion behind it, things like that, which we're not getting into because uh, I, I don't really know much about it or whatever, but they hate each other, don't they? It's just yeah. it's just massively big. And I think mm. I don't think nothing, like look across the globe, America, I don't think like in, in America, the, the fans stand in the same stands, yeah. don't they? Things it's not like the same. It's not the same. I don't think you can touch anything over there, all right, what is oh what, what's that Turkish rivalry? Fenerbahce and uh, Galatasaray. Galatasaray, that that's bad or whatever. But I was going to say one as well. Uh, Boca Juniors and River Plate. The oh, uh, oh yeah, that that one's oh, a yeah. fierce rivalry. That's that's a spectacle, isn't it? been sprayed with gas as they were coming out for this second half and you can see in the case of Driussi there's uh, tears in his eyes it appears there's been some gas that made its way into the tunnel by a few Boca fans and that's where the problem came according to Marcelo Gajardo there was some sort of a gap opened up by supporters and the spray came through onto some of the River squad well we've seen some Extraordinary things in this competition, abandonments with referees hit with missiles. And obviously, the uh, Sudamericana final in 2012, the second leg abandoned at half-time because Tigre's uh, dressing room was stormed by police at half-time. They start karate kicking each other a lot, don't they? Exactly. <laughs> I think it... Um, I've, I've watched a lot of rugby and that, that is very much, as you say in, in America, in rugby, you, you sit as, as one. 
Yeah. So there isn't a designated area. There isn't stewards that, that cordon it yeah. off. It, it, you literally could be sat next to a, uh, I don't know, a Scottish fan or whatever. Yeah. Um, but I think uh, this year, I think without the fans, you, you're getting United and City players hugging and laughing. Oh, it's not the same, is it? It's yeah. you, want, you want the ball to be skidding yeah. down the yeah. turf and you want to be two foot straight yeah. in at the ankle and the, everyone just, yeah, like that. Yeah. It, it, you, yeah. you just lose it. Um, me, rivalry, it's, uh, it's probably going to go down in, we'll look back in a decade or whatever, when they've all retired. The sort of, the rivalry in, like, of Djokovic, Nadal, Federer, Murray, how we've yeah. had four heavyweights, basically, yeah. at tennis, all going at the same time, all similar stages of their careers. And then women's tennis, there's all Venus versus Serena for a while. All of them going at each other all at the same time. It's like the golden age of tennis, almost. I think there's, there's also, no, go on, John. Well, no, I was going to say, I'll tell you one a rivalry what I loved as well. It's not, you, you don't think about it because it's not it's not physical or all that, but I'm a massive darts fan and Barnabelle oh. and Phil Tim. How was, oh, how was yeah. he just, that's that's he just, just going to say? Mind. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I knew you were going to say, that's why I had to get him first. <laughs> read my mind. Um, Bar- Barney and the power. That, I, used, oh. I went being down to Ali Pally a few times and watched darts down here. And we, we, I, I went to watch Taylor and Barnabelle, but t- Taylor smashed him about good because I'm a massive Barney fan. Uh, for lads, if you're not, you lads, you might not watch. Oh, darts I whatever. think darts is a sport everyone just loves, isn't it? You darts, just love watching darts. darts is on, and now you've got now now that those lads have got, you've got a couple of new lads coming in. Gerwin Price. Oh, Gerwin yeah. Price, the beast. Oh my, he, lets, he lets you <laughs> know. He yeah. lets you know if you're if if he's there. And the rivalries between darts players, it's amazing. But Taylor and Barney, those two together, yeah, I don't think you can you can pip that at the moment. It's it's unreal. <laughs> Yeah, no, it doesn't matter no, what no, sport no. you go into, there are always those rivalries, aren't you? Like cricket, you got the Ashes and you got India Pakistan. That's always yeah. so hotly contested. You look at, I mean, Ryder Cup for golf. That's always like yeah. the atmosphere. There's a brilliant state of golf but, as well. But you need it. Yeah. Exactly. You need, you, need you, need, it. you need them rivalries to, to, to push yourself more. This is what I don't, I don't want to say hate because hate's a strong word, but I know it's a different gen- different time now, things like that, but. You know, like at school when you're getting kids like trophies for being eighth and ninth and stuff like that. Yeah. It just goes through me because the kids what are coming fourth and fifth are not going to push themselves to be first. Yeah. You got to strive to be the best. Yeah, exactly. And, and that's not that's not being nasty. That's not that's not not wanting someone else to do well. That's that's you pushing yourself and you mm. wanting to be better than anybody else. And I think you need that. You need that whether it's sport or business or school or uni or whatever you do. You've got to have that edge, competitive edge. To push yourself, and you've got to have that rivalry where you think, like my some of my best mates in the gym, best mates in my entire life. If they were beating me on a run, I were doing anything I can to beat them. And that weren't because I didn't want them to do well. That's because I'm thinking I'm not having him beat me, mm. and I'm not having him. You beat don't me want bragging rights. Him. That's what it is. Yeah, exactly. Or we'd be sparring, and somebody hit me with a shot, and Glenn would go, "Oh, good shot." And I'd be like, "I'm not having him do that." So I just hit me a shot, and he hit me a shot, and before you know it, it's an all-out war, and Glenn's saying. Calm down, you two. What are you going off at? I'm thinking you just started because you said it was a good shot. We're making me. <laughs> I'll tell you what, I'll give you a couple final rivalries before we move on to the quiz. I'm surprised none of us mentioned. We mentioned like Fenerbahce, Gartasaray. Oh, you're going to say the, 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 the partisan one. You're going to say partisan. No, and, uh, none no. of us mentioned El Clasico. Oh, that's I not good. I, like, I was going oh. to mention that. Yeah, and maybe not at the moment because obviously. I don't think it was ever that dirty anyway. It's not as good. I'll tell you what, the golden era of El Clasico was when it was Pep and Messi versus Mourinho and Ronaldo. Yeah. 
Yeah, that was yeah, yeah. those, I think it was like 2010 to 2012, yeah. sometime around then. George, George, you've um, you missed one in football as well. Go on. Um, now I'll, I'll disregard my team in this in this three way. Um, oh yeah, we're not, we're not really uh, we're not really in the rivalry, but I've got to say Newcastle and Sunderland is a yeah. nasty rivalry. Yeah, the time yeah, weird yeah. derby. Not just saying and all in football as well. I think Wednesday United's up yeah. like oh. you can't you can't go to work like the week after if your team's lost. Yeah. Like you don't wanna like it's, it's what, that's what I mean, what's good, like yeah, my missus is they're all Unitedites and my family are Wednesdayites. And like I literally don't even want to look at her. Well <laughs> I mean that's 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 on that's standard some days anyway, but um <laughs> the uh, I don't even want to look at her like on that on that day or, or after that. Uh, and she knows that because when United beat us 4-2, she just texts me after and it said Becky and I thought, oh, what she said here because I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to smash his phone up in a minute. <laughs> and she just put something like, do you want to get some food later or something? You know, just try to break the ice. Yeah. <laughs> and it's just, it's just, oh, like, like your mate's like, like one of my best pals, Andy, he's a massive United guy and like, you, you just hate each other for one day. Like, mm-hmm. literally, don't want to be near each other it's just yeah the Sheffield derby I'm not sure whether it's like it with every other derby but Steel City derby is one of those you could say anything to your mates you could slag them off completely and tear them to shreds you could be so rude to them on derby day and yeah. it's, it's derby day whatever you say yeah. on derby day stays on derby day exactly. <laughs> I'll give you one final rivalry before we move on to a quiz obviously I'm a massive Formula 1 fan Senna versus Prost We've had mm. those sort of rivalries. We've had Hamilton Vettel at the moment, and now the one that I'm excited for, Verstappen versus Leclerc, is now the the new one that's coming around. Here comes Max Verstappen again. How did he not make contact with a Ferrari as he pulled out from behind the rear wing of Charles Leclerc? You can sense the frustration going on in the Dutchman's head under the crash helmet. Here goes Max Verstappen into Brooklyn's. Charles Leclerc is still ahead. Verstappen is trying every single trick in the book at the moment and a few pages he wrote himself as he goes onto the gravel and you can hear the gasps, the oohs and the ahs from the crowd as he somehow manages to keep it under control. This is absolutely brilliant racing between two supremely, supremely talented drivers and they are giving it everything here. Here comes Verstappen again. He's almost pushed onto the grass. Somehow Leclerc stayed ahead. And I think Verstappen had to back off a little bit there because he was almost on the grass on the inside at Stowe. This is getting serious. So, um, I'll have to admit, I have never watched Formula One in my life. Join the club. <laughs> <laughs> that is absolutely fine, John, because I love a good a bit. A you always get a bit of, of F1, one. don't you, George? You always push your F1 in. I do always push it. It's that or there has to be something Chef United related. Yeah. He just likes to, He likes even if it's not on 
uh, F1. He just likes to plug the F1 in there at yeah. some point. Yeah. It's like an Easter, it's like a, an Easter egg hunt for the yeah. for the F1 in it, and who can get who can uh, find where George. We should start a drinking game for people that listen yeah. to it. Have a drink whenever I mention Sheffield United or Formula One. By now, you're <laughs> probably passed out. Yeah. Is, is that what happened with Jed earlier on? Did you talk about, did you play that game? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> right then. Last but certainly not least, gents, we come to everyone's favourite part of the show. The Last Orders Quiz. It's not favourite, mate. I've not got a point yet. <laughs> That's right, it's time for the last uh, the Lockdown Inns weekly pub quiz, which is, as usual, has a fantastic money can't buy prize. Now, gents, tonight you are playing for a part-started box of Dairy Milk Fingers. Nice. That's, that's all right for me. Exactly. Part-started. <laughs> uh, there is literally well, how left? half the box left. Oh, that's all right. That's all right. And I'll be honest, you're right. lucky I'm, if any is left diet, by the end. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> yes, uh, that's what we're playing for tonight. As always, there'll be a picture of the prize up on the regulars Instagram and Twitter uh, where later tonight. At, you know, yeah, at regulars pod UK. Thank you very much, Elliot. That's uh, all right, mate. Yeah, I mean, there will be a picture if I haven't eaten them all by then. So, I mean, the quicker we get through the quiz, the more fingers there are for you. Uh, For any new listeners, this is how our pub quiz works. I will ask each person one question, which will be to do with something that has gone on in the past week. Answer correctly and they get a point. However, answer incorrectly and we open it up to the others who can steal the points if they answer correctly instead. After four questions, which, I mean, one of them is just going to be open to everyone, given Jed isn't here. Uh, after the four questions, though, if the scores are level, we go to a tiebreaker question where the person closest to the answer wins. So, are we ready, gentlemen? Yes, sir. So, we will start yeah. with you, John. Which car company had to apologise this week after admitting an electric car PR stunt done on the 30th of March, which is actually an April Fool's joke? I ain't got a clue. <laughs> I can give you a clue. They, uh, on, eh? It's a German car brand that had to apologise for their badly timed joke. That's literally made it no easier whatsoever. <laughs> I know I'm it hasn't. I'm evil like that. I'll go, I'll go Mercedes. Not quite. It was Volkswagen. Whoa, I was going to say that. Where's the? Where's it handed oh. over? I was going to say Volkswagen. I might have forgotten that bit. I'll, oh. I've <laughs> scammed him of a point again. My chance of a point is going every week. Can you give me a point out of sympathy? Yeah, yeah. Well, I, swear I swear my life I was going to say it. Half a point. All right, we'll give you half a point. We'll give you half a point for it. But yeah, uh, Volkswagen were the ones that had to apologise because on the 30th of March, they put out a little ad campaign, basically, saying that they were going to change their US operations name to Volkswagen instead, so like the electric Volts. Oh. Uh, it was a bad stupid. joke and it was badly timed and yeah that, I mean, that is ill-timed that it just yeah news outlets around the world started reporting it and they had to come out and go we we got the day wrong lads we thought it was today <laughs> charlie i'll come to you next given that i mean the next question was meant for jed but we'll do that one last so charlie this week police in northern ireland found some unusual passengers after pulling over a driver in port glenone what were his passengers 
Old MacDonald probably would have had these on his farm. Bloody hell. Damn you, Jed, for not turning up. (laughs) (laughs) Jed would have known this probably because he Um, he lives on the news. Ah, bollocks. Is it... uh, uh, Wales could be another clue. Wait, Wales, it? yeah, the the place. Oh, not, I thought not the animal. Come on, Charlie. He's still not want it. If you don't want it, I'll have it. If you don't want it, you got. Have they got sheep on board? Thank God for that. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I mean, I literally say. said Wales. That's where. Come sheep on, from yeah. Charlie. You said you said Old McDonald has a farm, and he's got how many how many animals does he have in that? In that r- rhyme, I mean, he could True. have anything on there. Let's be honest, mate. He could yeah. have anything. I thought you meant um, R- McDonald from actual McDonald's. I was going to say. Chicken. <laughs> so, God, I, I mean, we won't question what meats is in the chicken nuggets, but you never know. It might be like. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it was three lambs were in the driver's uh, in the passenger footwell of the car That's when bizarre. they pulled him over. <laughs> So I won't ask what was going on with that one. But... I'm going to say just to think what they were up to. And lastly, we'll come to you, Elliot. Phil Jagielka played in Sheffield United's 2-1 defeat to Leeds this weekend. Mm. At the age of 38 years, 7 months and 17 days, he is the oldest outfield player to play in the Premier League this season. Who is the second oldest? And I'll, the just, clue... I'll just jump in there. That's another shot for any listeners that are waiting for the Blades plug. Because yeah, drink away, drink away. Uh, (laughs) I will give you a clue again. We've given everyone a clue for this week. I've got Uh, an idea, but go on. He also played this weekend. Oh, well, my idea is completely gone. It's an outfield Uh, play before you go and name a goalkeeper. He's played... Oh, my God. It was quite a high-scoring game that he played in. Bit of a shock as well. Right, so I know what game it is. Yeah. Oh, I... Was it Branislav Ivanovic? Yes, it was. Branislav (laughs) Ivanovic. Finally. You see, these were probably the most random hardest questions, but because of the clues I've given you, you've all got points here. But yeah, Branislav Ivanovic played in West Brom's 5-2 win at Chelsea at the age of 37 years, one month and 12 days. So over a a year and a half between him and Jagielka for the two oldest. Yeah, but who scored no goal though? So hey, who scored? Like, True. He at least <laughs> at least we scored a goal this weekend. So that, that's True. all that matters. One at one end, one at the other. Uh, as a bonus little thing, we'll we'll offer half a point if you get this to make it even. Does anyone know the youngest player to play in the league this season? Youngest player? Is it that kid for United? Is it is it no? Do you know his name? Tom, or? Tom, yeah, oh, it's Tomlinson's no, his brother, it's Tomlinson's little brother. It wasn't that oh. Amid, Amid Diallo, was it? No. Hey, which no. United? Are we talk, we're talking about Sheffield United, not Man United. Not Man United. Yeah, Sheffield. Yeah, Sheffield have United. another drink, folks. Oh, I know, yeah, I know his brother. It's Andy Tomlinson's brother. Um, oh, oh, George, George you've I, probably I, absolutely love gone all over him the last couple of weeks when he, whenever he, whenever he played. You've probably put something in, and I can't think of his name now. Oh, it's not Antoine. that one. It's not that one. It's, it's Antoine Man and Dyer. Antoine, isn't it? Antoine, Antoine, isn't it? Yes. Antoine Hackford, yeah. So Antoine Hackford is the youngest player in the league this season. Of course, I had to mention it with him being Sheffield United. We have the oldest and the youngest this season for hey, outfield You're getting players. relegated. Who cares? Throw <laughs> <laughs> yeah. stats out there. Who cares? <laughs> okay. Okay. <laughs> I think that means the scores are one and a half 
because we've been dumb and done half points this episode. <laughs> I think Elliot and John, you both have one and a half. So do I give Jed's question to Charlie for half a point so we can have a completely not scripted three-way tiebreaker? Yeah, or just give I, think, it to- I think you should also let the listeners know that this is still the regulars podcast and not the Sheffield United podcast. <laughs> 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 oh my, I hate we're you. Not, we're not in the Sheffield, not Sheffield Football Forum. That's yeah. <laughs> right, Charlie, the, the question that was meant for Jed, but he's not here, is the manager of which Spanish football club burst into song after winning this weekend's Copa del Rey final? I, I saw the video, but I didn't, I don't know who it was. I'm, I don't know who it was, so you can throw I'll, it on. Again, I'll give you the clue that I had. Uh, oh, I know it. I don't know how much FIFA you play, but you might know this player. Mikel Oyarzabal scored the only goal. Now, you're going to have to throw it. M- managers and... Okay, I- I'm not going to open it up because otherwise this whole scripted tiebreak is not going to happen, Elliot. Can I just say it? You can say like, it, though. It's Real Sociedad. Yes, Real Sociedad. I he saw David Silva posting posting with the, the, the trophy before. Yeah. It's yeah. their first major trophy in 34 years, That's which, I mean, it, it's a long time, but it's probably less than both United and Wednesday. So <laughs> it's, it's not that long. So we will go to this completely unscripted tiebreaker. If there is anywhere in the world that you go for a weird and wonderful news story, there's, there's one place you're always guaranteed to get it. And as usual, Florida has delivered. And this week, a Florida man broke a world record after seeing Avengers Endgame in theatres how many times? Closest to getting it right wins, basically. How long's this film been at? Yeah, how... Uh, I will yeah, very quickly two years? Google it. I think it's, it's a couple of years, isn't it? I think it's two years. Uh, 2019. I'll say, I'll start it off then. I'll say 112. I, I feel like it's higher. I've, I've seen it bad in the news, but I think it's higher. I'm going to say 162. Charlie, you might as well throw a guess in there as well. You, it doesn't matter. You're not going to get the point. But It's in the week, is it? Uh, this in week, the, week, the news came out. Oh, no. The, uh, overall. Oh, he just uh, broke the record this week. I'm just going to go 200. If you were going to get the point, you would have won it, Charlie. It was 191 times. What? in Avengers Endgame. It's a three-hour-long movie as well. It's a long haul. <sighs> Mad guy. Yeah, so... Does that, does, that mean, does that mean that I win them? So that means, I Elliot, I mean, against all the odds, you've somehow won something. Tremendous. <laughs> 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 yeah, you... I think how that many, is about How fair. many chocolate fingers am I getting then? Um, <laughs> well, I mean, it depends how many are left by the time that... I've done the post for the social Mate, you got, media. You got, to, you got to stop eating now. This is my prize from now. You need to stop. I mean, I could, but there aren't many left as it is. I don't know if, I mean, Posty it's might fun. have them all on his way, but. Typical United. Uh, <laughs> 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 oh, right. So it is Elliot that wins this week's The Last Orders quiz. And well, I mean, that's the end of the show, gents. I'm very happy that you've joined us tonight. John, thank you for coming. No, I, f- f- thanks for having me. I would, uh, I really enjoyed it, actually. And I think what uh, it's great what you lads are doing and keep it up. And um, if you ever need anything or want anything or anything like that, I'm always here. Thanks for having me. I've really enjoyed it. Cheers, thank John. very much. And as no always, problem, thank you to... Except, except Jed. Except Jed. <laughs> except yes. Jed. I, I was... Um, 
I was going to say we will, we better send our prayers out to Jed because he is going to have one stinking hangover <laughs> on a Monday morning. So I think the best advice is straight into it. Hair of the dog, get one down <laughs> in early doors. Exactly. And as always, thank you very much to our eponymous regulars, Elliot Richardson and Charlie Hopper for joining me tonight. Gents, it's been a pleasure as always. As to you, mate. As to you. As John, John, it's been a real pleasure. I really, I've enjoyed chatting to you about the world of boxing. No, thanks. Honestly, thanks very much for having me, boys. Uh, I, I, I've loved it. To be fair, it's been great. So, um, my pleasure. Yeah, um, <laughs> we can only apologise that you finished your snacks before it even started. <laughs> <laughs> That is it for episode four of the Regulars podcast. Join us back here next Wednesday when we'll have another episode. Thank you very much for listening and see you next time.